Hey everybody, I'm Sam Graham-Felson. I'm Avi Klein. And you're listening to Hey Man, the advice podcast for men. I'm a novelist, Avi's a therapist, and each week we're here to answer your questions and hopefully get a few of our own answered as well. This week we're joined by Jason Charles, who is a 20-year veteran of the FDNY, that's the Fire Department of New York, and he's also um, sort of a famous prepper, also known as the Angry Prepper. So we talked to him about what it's like to fight fires and prepare for calamity. And our question this week is from a guy who got uh, passed over for a promotion at his work and is having some feelings about it. How many days How many days a week is typical for a New York City firefighter? Uh, four days a week. Uh, you know, we have uh, two, two morning shifts and then two night shifts. And it's, you know, it, it, again, depends on the company. Some companies, they run all day, all night, and some companies, it's a little slower. Not by much, but a little slower. Yeah. What, so what year did you start out? I was an EMT in, with the fire department in 2000. 2004, I got promoted to being a firefighter. And it's not actual promotion. It's just, a, I guess, a lateral movement, if you will. Got it. Um, were you... Um, I'm just doing the math. Were you an EMT during 9-11? Were, did you, were you one of the early responders there? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, not to get into the whole story. Okay. But when the Trade Center was hit by the second plane, I responded on my own. I was off duty. Oh, wow. So I worked a midnight shift, more like 10 to 6. We had a late run. I got downtown around 8. And I was picking up my son to go take him to the movies. And then that happened. I took him back home and went down there. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, so again, without I'm sure it's a long story, but um, is there is there a, a quick quick version of, of 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 what what you went through and what that experience was like for you? Without getting into it, the experience was, I mean, exciting to say the least. You know, for for all the damage and the people that died, there was um, there was that adrenaline rush the whole time you were there. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the the adrenaline wore you out. You know, the, the people dying around you wore you out. So it, it it turned into an excitement, into a sorrow, into just tired, you know. The long short of it was it, it was just an exhausting day. Um, I don't know. I just, when people ask me about it, not that I, I have a problem talking about it. It's just a, like, it's a it's a long, yeah, it's a long story. And it's just like, I don't like talking about it just because... I think it, it's more than my story. Mm-hmm. So many people involved. Yeah, you know. Uh, where Where is your um, company based out of? Uh, the Bronx. The Bronx. Yeah, okay. I'm when I was an EMT, I was in Harlem. Okay, got it. Um, did they lose people or uh, EMTs? The 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 fire uh, company that that you work at now. Did they lose people in nine eleven, or was it far, far enough away that they weren't uh, on the scene? There were two guys that were out of there, but they had transferred Okay. and went elsewhere. Um, but as far as like assigned to the house and not really. Okay. Um, I'm, so did you, are you from New York? You sound like you have a little bit of a New York accent. Are you from here? I was born and raised. <laughs> which, which neighborhood? Washington Heights. Okay. Yeah. Um, and when you were a kid, did you have like a sense of what you wanted to do when you grew up? Yeah. I was being a fireman. Really? Yeah. yeah. See, that's awesome because... I feel like that was definitely what I wanted to be. I don't know about you, Avi, but I feel like most of the kids in my school wanted to be a fireman and none of us became one. And <laughs> it's cool that like you actually did the thing that you envisioned as a kid. 
Yeah. It, yeah. Although it's probably not as uh, as glamorous as you imagine it would be when you were a kid. I would say better. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I was. I would say better. You know, you you're growing up and you see firemen. You know, and you see what you see what the, the things they, from a kid's standpoint, how they operate, and that was like just watching them go into the burning building, and then come out and the fire was off. Mm -hmm. Right. That's that's being a kid. <laughs> Then you 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 become an adult, you become a firefighter, and you're like, it's a lot more uh, detailed, you know. So you appreciate it a hell of a lot more. You, st I still look at farming the same way I did when I was a kid, and that really didn't change. It actually did change. It changed a little more, and probably for the better, because now I see the the amount of work it takes for us to do just to put a fire out. Mm -hmm. Right. So a lot of people, I, I ran into some people like online saying, well, you know, not enough firemen die, you know, because we were talking about the whole placard thing. And um, they were like, well, not enough farm and die. Uh, what the hell is it? There was a, another group of guys that, that have more deaths than we do. I was like, it doesn't diminish the work they do in a fire. I'm pretty sure one fire is an equivalent of a whole year work for you. Mm -hmm. Right? The guy didn't fire back after that. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, that being said, it's, it's amazing how many people knock firemen. Because they think we're sitting around doing nothing all the time. So if we're not going on a run, we're training. If we're not training, we're cleaning. And then, yes, we have some downtime. If you wanted that downtime and that schedule, should have became a fire. <laughs> <laughs> what do people do during downtime? What's like a typical working out? What, what kind of stuff do people do? Well, yeah, it's working out, uh, training, going over a fire that we might have read about. Um, in another borough, or we were at, but not all of us were there, so we we review that. Uh, cleaning is a lot of part of it. What are you cleaning? Well, because you're always sweeping. We we work in a garage. Uh -huh. That's basically what it is. Yeah. yeah. And uh, <coughs> the whole, um, you know, before you know it, the day's gone, and then you go on like really BS calls. You know, so you have that mixed in with with our daily, you know, clean up and making lunch and stuff like that. It's a long day. What's an example of a BS call? Just someone being paranoid about a smell? Or what, what's an example? A water leak. <laughs> right. So you have a, a drip under your sink. Instead of turning it off yourself, you call 911, <laughs> get an entire crew to respond to just turn it off. Those are the, the, the really, uh, I call, I'd say stupid calls. Do and people get like fined for doing stupid shit like that? Or? I wish. Uh -huh. I wish we could. But being that New York is so um, liberal mm. and would never, you know, come to a conclusion like that, it wouldn't happen. But, I, you know, when I was an EMT, the worst BS call I ever had, it was actually two, but one was, was worse than the next. This one, this, we get a call, the guy says he's having trouble breathing. We get in the elevator, we get to about the eighth floor, I start hearing music blasting. For some reason, I'm like, this is this motherfucker. It's gotta be him. <laughs> right, so we get upstairs, and I'm like, no way. It sounded like his door was open. It was in a project, and it was blaring. It was two o'clock in the morning. We knock on the door. We must have been knocking for five minutes, and we had to wait till the music stopped. Music stops, we knock on the door, he opens. He goes, you guys bought my sandwich? <laughs> and I was like, what? He goes, did you guys bring my sandwich? I was like, if you ever call us again, I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> I said, and we'll get the cops here and they'll lock you up for, you know, 
false, what you call it. And that wasn't going to happen because cops are not going to, you know, not that they don't care, but they can't. They yeah. can't based on that. But he was just like, all right, later, and then closed the door. And But he, he had shades on. His apartment was pitch black, uh-huh. and he was dancing in his dark apartment. <laughs> and when he opened the door, I couldn't see inside his apartment. So, like, the light from the hallway yeah. wasn't casting on anything. I was like, Jesus, man, this guy's... So you have that, right? And then you had a, a, another call where a lady had a, a boil on her behind. <laughs> and this was the day after 9-11. Oh, oh man. Right, so I was... So you went right back to work. I yeah, guess that's next, just how it... Yeah, yeah, just yeah. the next day, because they, they called everyone in, pretty much, you know? Yeah. So if you were working, you were supposed to be working. If you weren't... They were going to stick you somewhere, and if they didn't need you, you were off, you know. Um, once the dust settled, you know, no pun intended, they started figuring out where everybody was or where they needed to be, right? So um, they had a lady calling because she had a boil on her behind. was really, you know, like the, the low. And then after that, I hated being an EMT. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I wonder, like, if you, when you go, when you're a part of something like 9-11, and then people call with, like, no offense to them, but they're bullshit problems. Like, does it all just kind of seem small in comparison? Like, why are you? Yeah. Well, when I became an EMT, yeah. I had I had this idea that I was going to save the world. You uh-huh. know, it's going to help everybody, and everybody who's going to call was going to be in need. My partners, right away, my first year was like, knock that shit off. It's not <laughs> that serious. And then you work with them long enough, and you, you see the shit, and they're right. It's not that serious. Mm. For most of the calls that we get, they're absolutely outrageously. Um, stupid, you know, I mean, a toothache, you know, go to the damn dentist, you know, <laughs> you stubbed your toe and drift, what, two weeks ago, now you're calling, you know, <laughs> you should have went to the doctor when it happened, so it's like, you know, it's it's things like that that just annoy the shit out of all of us, Yeah, you know, it's not just me, but any city worker is at some point going to hit that annoyance call, and they're just going to be like, this is fucking bullshit, and they're going to go on their rant, you know, mm-hmm. and every, every last, every EMT, every firefighter, every cop, you know, we, we we experience the bullshit and then you just, you have enough after a while. And know? then after lots of bullshit, some actually big deal thing happens, right? Right. Like, um, when, there's, when there is like a, a really catastrophic, crazy fire, uh, do do some guys get scared? Um, are, th- are people, do people kind of just... How do how do people deal with it? Do people kind of hide their emotions? Do, does anyone show their emotions? Like, how do you deal when there's a big firefighters? Thing you're yeah, yeah, firefighters. Yeah, show their emotions. I haven't seen it. Yeah, <laughs> I really have. I mean, the, the guys I work with, um, I have not seen it. If you show your emotions during a fire, shit, the job's not for you. Yeah, you know, you focus and you you focus at the task at hand. Is that part of the training? kind of become being calm during during the emergency is there mental training involved there isn't you have to know you know whether or not you're built for it mm-hmm. and then you won't really know until you get your first fire that being said there's a couple people who when they go to their first fire they're like nope this is not for me you do, know? You, do you remember your your first fire what that experience was like i remember thinking holy shit it's on because <laughs> The uh, boss we had, he was a he was a screamer. Now some bosses scream, some bosses don't. So when a boss scream and you're a probie, it sort of compounds the the thought process in your head now. But then you work with others and they're like, you know, like cool as a, I don't know, ice man. They're just like, all right guys, we're gonna do this, this, and this instead of screaming. Then you start to know the difference. Then you start to know people's behavior patterns. And if certain firemen worry, then you should worry. Mm. When you know. 
when I first got on. If guys are like, yo, this is getting ugly, this is the third, you needed to worry too. You know? But I always fed off the, the reactions of guys with more time than me. That's how I stayed focused. If they got rattled, then I knew that we were in a bad spot. And that hasn't happened, but I just you know, knew that. You know, and then you had your screamers, but even you know that they're screaming for you to do the job because it's also hard to hear over a lot of the shit that's going on. Yeah. But when their pitch changes, you know that, okay, this this could be getting bad. Like what kind of scream are we getting? Right. Yeah. Like it's like, you know, it's like there's a scream like to do your job. Not do your job, but like, all right, I need you guys to do this, do that, do this. And there's a get the fuck out of here. You know, yeah. so it's it's like two different um you it's hard to explain because you have to be there to yeah. to um sorry. Um, one one more question about firefighting. Uh, it seems like, um, yeah, the the general impression for people who know nothing about firefighting is just like it's all about you know bravery. You run in with the hose, you 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 blow out the flames with the hose, and then you run out, or, you know, with the people on your shoulder. But it seems like even just talking to you for a couple minutes here. Like there's actually a lot of almost complicated um, math and physics and like all kinds of like it almost seems like a like like a much bigger more intricate puzzle you know than than probably lay people understand it as is that is that an accurate way of putting it like there's a lot of fine points to it right yes and no obviously if you're in the engine those are the guys with the water you're gonna put the blue stuff on the red stuff done right. <laughs> Um, as far as being in a truck, you're just going to do a systematic search of the room. So a room like this, you know, two guys are split up or, or three guys are split up. Two go one way, one goes the other, and then we meet in the middle somewhere, right? Um, if there's a room, you're going to search the room along the way. Um, the search part is the, is the scary part, you know. And scary in the sense that when you're searching, you're like, all right, this is cool. Soon, as soon as you start feeling some heat... You're like, all right, I'm headed in the right direction. Hmm. But you sh- you're not supposed to panic in that part. Some people do, some people don't. Yeah. You know, some guys are like really like, all right, I know I'm headed in the right direction. So if you're on the can, for example, that's the guy that carries that big can on his back, he's supposed to hold the fire back. Not supposed to put it out with that. I mean, some cases, some rare cases you do, but um, a lot of the times you're just holding it back to the engine company gets in and then they go to work. And meanwhile, just you think crawling around is like, oh, I could do that. Try doing it while your heart's racing at 110 beats per minute. You, you don't know where you are because you're blinded by the smoke. Yeah. You can't see anything. It's not like Backdraft, right? <laughs> Which is still an awesome movie to this day, <laughs> but it's not as clear as that. You can't see anything. So now you're, 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 you're feeling around. You're like, okay, where the hell am I? You know, you have to start piecing it together. If it feels like a couch, a bed, a crib, okay. If it's a couch, if it's a bed or a crib, I'm in a bedroom. If it's a couch, I'm possibly in the living room. The problem is it's never as straightforward as you think because a lot of apartments are made different ways now, right? Yeah. And then some of them have like, some people will put their living room inside of a bedroom and a bedroom in the living room. Uh-huh. They're like, what the hell is this? Uh-huh. When it's smokeless, you're like, what the hell's going on here? You know? uh-huh. So you have that. And then, um, Wait, let me just get this straight for a second. So you're like in a room, you can't see anything. You're feeling around. You're trying to find where the fire is. But like... And you, you want to go towards it because that's your job, but also like nobody really wants to go towards a fire, right? Well, yes and no. Some of us just, <laughs> it, because there's an exciting factor to it. Uh-huh. And if you're not excited and you're scared, that means the job's not for you. Yeah. If you're scared, or, or I rather I would rather say nervous. I don't want to say scared. Because scared is an entirely different ballgame. Scared was like, 
what I was during the trade center when I was running from the building. Mm -hmm. That was scared. Mm -hmm. uh, nervous is a different ballgame. I feel like your threshold for scared and nervous might be different from my threshold <laughs> for scared and nervous. <laughs> Maybe, but I tell people all the time, for everyone who says they couldn't run into a burning building, mm -hmm. I would almost call bullshit on that when there's a kid involved. Sure. Do you... um? So after a long day, uh, you know, whether, whether, whether you had a fire or not, I, I understand most of the time there isn't one. Do guys, um, like go to the bar after work and hang out? Is there camaraderie? Like, like, is there an extra kind of closeness because of the kind of work that you guys do? Or is it just kind of like any other job? Most people just go back to their family. No, there's definitely a, a, a camaraderie there. When you guys are putting your, your lives on the line for one another, it's, it's automatically there. Right, it's, I mean, you got to earn it. Don't get me wrong. Not every guy walks into the firehouse, and you know, you're welcome with open arms. But there's an open arms of, hey, welcome to the firehouse. Well, let's see what you can do in a fire, mm -hmm. right? And um, once you pass that first fire test, whatever it is, you didn't run out, you didn't bail. Now you're in, right? And the fact that you guys are always together, 24 hours out of a day. You know, how do you handle that? Would, 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 don't you get sick of people's personalities or things like that? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But <laughs> it, it, it's that's why they say it's a brotherhood, uh -huh. right? If your brother annoys you your whole childhood, <laughs> right? But you, but if something happens to him, you're going to be there, right? Somebody's bullying him, you're going to kick the bully's ass, whatever it is. It's the same thing. We are, it's passed down from generation to generation of firemen that it's a brotherhood. You don't understand it until you're there, until you get it, until you... You see another guy go down and you sort of like panic to, to help him or, or you know, a guy gets hurt and you're, you're putting it all on the line to get him out in one piece. So it's just, uh, it, it, and the, the drinking at the bar, it happens, right? Guys will like, for example, guys will go to a concert. We have a stupid concert, they like say Shillelagh Law or whatever it is, right? The bar, um, Irish group. And they'll go to there and then they'll hang out to watch the concert and then they'll go out and hang out at the bar afterwards. Or stay at that bar and drink, whatever it is. Hmm. But we also we often hang out outside of work more than any other, you know, job. You know, I mean, everybody has their friends, their yeah. little clique at the office. But this is different. We can hang out with each other, with other firemen from other firehouses. You don't see people mm -hmm. doing that with other, you know, businesses unless mm -hmm. you're like you're a lawyer or something, like a doctor. You know. <laughs> Do um, how many of your colleagues know about your side gig? This this thing, the prepper thing? Yeah. yeah they all do. They all yeah. Do. As soon as I was on that TV show, the whole job knew about it. <laughs> so tell you know? tell us just just quickly for listeners who don't know um what your um name is in that world and what happened about that? What what TV show were you on? Just tell us about that. Well the TV show was almost called Doomsday Preppers. It was um it was when I was fairly new to prepping. Actually I was new to prepping. And so I thought it would have been a good idea to, you know, be in this TV show. And the show, in the, in the long run, wind up making preppers look like assholes, hmm. right? But in the beginning, they did it. They, the first two seasons, they did a pretty good job making us look sane within reason. So um, when they got to my, my episode and they aired it, everybody was like, you know, everyone was like, that wasn't as bad. I said, you shit. I didn't watch, actually, I didn't watch my episode until <laughs> like six, seven, eight months later, uh -huh. you know? But um, everybody said it wasn't that bad. It wasn't as... They thought it was going to be terrible. I thought it was going to be terrible. But um, it, it wound up working out. I guess they just did me a solid. <laughs> Plus, somebody shot his fingers off, so he uh, <laughs> made me look like a rock star. After that. What is the like? What is the common um, 
misconception about preppers, just that people are paranoid and crazy? What, what, what do you hear from the haters out there? We're paranoid. It's never going to happen. I love that one. It's never going to happen. And then, you know, you get hit by a hurricane. You're like, shit, it happened. <laughs> um, we're hoarders. You know, they think that, you know, saving water, food, canned goods is hoarding. Completely the opposite, you know. Um, and, and then, you know, you have the, like, the small percentage. Like, well, the government will help us. They'll be there for us. Okay. You wait online for that, that uh, canned good and water. While I stay at home, not having to put myself on the line, or put my family at risk for going to a church to get food because you didn't want to get ready for it. You know? So how did you first get into being a prepper? Like, I can't help but wonder if like going through something like 9-11, it might have influenced your lack of faith in, you know, things staying the same way all the time. But I'm wondering what, what, what it really was. Well, if, you, if we go far back, we go back to when I was a kid, mm-hmm. fires. So in the 80s, uh, New York was burning. Yeah. There were fires everywhere. No matter where you where I looked out of my window in Washington Heights, there was a fire going. In the Bronx, you could see a few, you know. So I always, and in the news, every night there was a fire was here, a fire was there. So as a kid, I had this little bug out bag with like my toys in it. And then um, my mother would say, well, I'll take, I'll take the albums. Those days where the mother would run out like the photo albums, you know, now you just grab a digital, what you call a card, and uh-huh. there you are. <laughs> But um, and then she was she would say this is what I would take if there was a fire. So I I developed a little bug out bag. Wow. Then I grew up, stopped being paranoid, realized that my apartment was gonna burn to the ground because it's concrete, right? So then uh, Y2K happens. I prepared right. for that. I went bananas with that. And then we had food and water for about a year to get through. <laughs> then I then I let it go. Then I stopped. Then I read a book called One Second After, and that book sparked me to stay you know stay the course with prepping. Uh huh. Um, so Avi and I are both Jews <laughs> and, um, we've both like, neither of us are preppers, but we both, well, Avi's a little bit more than I am, Not but really. I, I have, I have a car now. Um, I have two kids and we got a car and I started at least putting some food in the car, which is like, I feel like the very first step of at least <laughs> having some shit in the car. And, um, but, but part of, part of why I brought up that, that we're Jewish is like, you know, I have like um, a lot of family that got killed in the Holocaust. Obviously, there's like a new rise of um, anti-Semitism Nazis. and Nazis and stuff like that. So the idea of like preparing for the shit to hit the fan seems less and less um, crazy. It's plausible, to me. yeah. And I just wonder. Uh, you know, you don't have to answer this if it seems too personal of a question, but like our listeners don't know what you look like. You're you're an African American dude. How much, like, do you feel like in any way, like, race plays into this feeling of, like, seeing what happened with Katrina and, and other ways in which the government hasn't helped black people and, and, frankly, the country hasn't been very, very good to black people? Hmm. Prepping, no. It doesn't really play a role into the whole, um, <clears throat> you know, I, you listen, the, 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 the treating black people like shit, Katrina was a, was on the, the mayor. Why the mayor was thrown under the bus because they told him to evacuate and he said no. The mayor was black. That shit fell on him. Um, th- when people talk about racism, it's it's a sticky subject because it's not as clean cut as one would think. What do you mean? People develop certain ideologies when they see certain people behave a certain way 
mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. right? So when I was younger, I was Mr. Black Panther, you know, uh, fuck Whitey, this, that, and the third. And then I got older and I started realizing black people, some black people, a lot, put themselves in the, their own predicament. Whether that's poor, whether that's, that's you know, having eight kids, seven different fathers, you put yourself in that predicament. It wasn't the white man. The fact that you couldn't find work, I'll give you that, right? I'll give you that, that there is a, an element out there where you show up at the job site and you got a nice white name and they see you and they're like, holy shit, nope, you know? Mm-hmm. That, yes, and there there is a, an element of racism in the country, but it's not... It's not that that clear cut. It's just you know, black people used to get treated like shit to a point we we do, but that's a human problem, you know. Racism is just humans wanting a reason. I I feel just sometimes that they hate something, you know, like it, the flavor of the month is what it is, you know. I mean, it certainly makes you kind of. I guess thinking about prepping, it's kind of hard to trust people. It oh, seems, you know, I hate people. <laughs> I really do. I, people are backstabbing motherfuckers, right? So when you're preparing to start a prepper commune, shit, I don't know where to start with that. Because, I mean, like, you, you get people on your side, you, you trust them, and then they stab you in the back, right? This is, are you, is this speculation or this is real life experience? In real life experience. Uh-huh. This is stuff I've read, Yeah. right? I've read one story where a guy almost prepping and he bought on somebody else who said he had preps. And then he went on vacation, came back, and his preps are gone. Uh-huh. The guy stole it. All his shit. Yeah. And then uh, lied about it. But then when he found out that he did, there was something weird where they, they couldn't charge the guy because there was no real proof other than the guy knew it. And, and he sort of mentioned it. Then my real life experience was like my group here in New York City, the NYC Preppers Network. Mm-hmm. Um. I had a little bit of a falling out, right? So a bunch of guys left, but it was the way they left. And it was the fact that they thought that they can outdo me in what I do. And not prepping, but wilderness survival. Because a part of prepping, changing uh, gears a little bit, part yeah. of prepping is learning survival skills, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to sit here and collect canned goods, water, first aid kits. You might end up outside. Your apartment might burn to the ground. Right Now you need to move. Right, so if you need to move, you need survival skills. Right, if you're in a car and you're driving through a long stretch of West Virginia and you break down and it's the winter time, you better have survival skills. Right. right, all of that goes back to prepping. Everything starts from prepping and sort of branches out. Right, so I started prepping. I had a bug out bag. I got uh, survival skills. Mm-hmm. Right, and then I started learning about homesteading techniques like cooking and stuff like that. Uh-huh. If I had a uh, house, I would have a garden. Yeah, and become more self reliant. The end game of a prepper is being self-reliant. That being said, you want a group of people to help you do that. Sure. You don't want to do it on, on your right. Own. You don't want to do it on your own. The problem is trusting people yeah. and then being stabbed in the back once. And I sort of knew it was going down that road. I didn't think it was going to go down the road that, that, as fast as it did. And when it did, I wasn't surprised. More I was pissed off for a little bit. Then I found out why they did it. And it was even worse. I was like, really? Like, you know, it was just it was just a stupid, stupid thing. So the fact that they couldn't take the group for me, because I knew that they wanted the group because I already had a membership started. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they, you know, what they do is they, they have their own group and they badmouth me as they, they tell people, you either join this group or that group kind of deal, uh-huh. which what? is weird. Yeah. Where where do you, um, 
train the survival stuff like upstate New York somewhere? Are you doing it in parks here? Like, what do you, like, how, how do you do that? Like, what does it physically look like? Well, we go upstate. We yeah. go like to Harriman State Park, the Catskills. We train in the woods. You train where you're going to potentially bug out to. Walk us through a survival. Is it, is it an overnight thing? Is it, how, how does it work? So first we do something called a bug out weekend, right? So you take your bug out bag and you go out to the wilderness and you see what you needed and what you didn't need, right? So for most part, beginner preppers, they have a bug out bag and the shit's overpacked. It's too heavy, too much crap. Then you go on a bug out weekend and just as you get to the bug out weekend, the night before you decide to buy all this shit that you're not going to use. Everyone does, including myself. Then you get out there and you're like, fuck, I didn't need half this shit. Why am I, you know, why is my bag 80 pounds, and, you know, and... And I'm struggling to carry it. So mm-hmm. sometimes we actually look through the back. This is, no, this is good. That's, the hell's that doing in there, you know? So we, we, we break the bags down. Then after we break the bags down, that's like the first outing. Second outing is we'll go over survival skills. Starting a fire is essential. Building a shelter in case your tent or your hammock, you know, breaks or tears. Um, learning how to filter water. Learning how to find water. We're moving into heavier territories this year with hunting. Mm-hmm. Then you start doing foraging. You start learning about like different plants that, that have medicinal purposes, essential oils that have medicinal purposes. So let me ask you two questions, and you may think this is naive, or, but like, who are you prepping for? Like, if you don't trust people, <laughs> and like, what's the point of this? Well, the one the one side of it is it weeds out Prepping, yeah, or, or at least like the, the the group weeds out the bullshit. What do you mean? Weeds out the bullshit artists, the con artists, the people who sit there and say, "I could do this, I can do that, I'm uh, I'm good for your group." Meanwhile, there's shit. Mm-hmm. We've, I've had a couple of people come through. They made it sound like they were the outdoorsmen, the outdoorsmen. Meanwhile, they couldn't start a fire with a ferro rod, mm-hmm. right? So. The group, I like the dynamics of like the people we have in our groups. You know, sometimes. But I guess I mean like on a bigger level, like what do you, like, like in a way, like why, why do you want to survive? Okay. That, that question. (laughs) We just, someone just asked that the other day. Yeah. Why do you want to survive? Because the continuity, first of all, the human race was built for that reason. It was Mm -hmm. built to survive. Anything that was thrown at us, we've conquered. Um. But me personally preparing is because if a situation happens, watching your kids die mm. is possibly the hardest thing you can do. Yeah. So if you have kids, you don't want to watch them die, right? Nobody does. So why not prepare and give them a, a, an insurance? Because prepping mm. is an insurance. That's all it is, right? I'm not sitting here hoping that the zombie apocalypse happen, a nuclear war breaks out. It's just an insurance. Do you, um, aside from kind of prepping being that, that insurance and something that, you know, makes you feel, uh, like, um, you know, maybe, maybe less afraid because at least, you know, you're going to, you're going to be more prepared than the average person is. Does it also bring you just a sense of, is there any element where it's just fun and it brings just meaning and, and, and happiness to, to be participating in this thing that makes you feel stronger, makes you feel like a survivor? Or is it is it more like a sense of just like, there's always some new thing I need to con- master, so like you can't rest? You know what I'm saying? Well, it's 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 both, right? So when you're prepping, you're, you're, you're looking for that self-reliance. You don't want to rely on anybody. I mean, I hate the fact that half of New York City relies on a system. 
right? And I don't rely on that system. So when the system breaks down, I'm ready to rock and roll. Better than half of New York City can't, right? Tomorrow, if we had a blackout that lasted longer than a week, this shouldn't be torched and burned because people wouldn't know what to do, especially if help doesn't come. If help doesn't come, forget about it, right? It's compounded. As far as the sense of happiness, not really, you know, because going through that period is not going to be happy. It's going to be hardship all the way. Um, the only sense of happiness I get is when I buy new gear. That's it, or a new bag, you know. I'm like, oh, this is nice. But other than that, um, <clears throat> we do what we do because we 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 want to be self-reliant. We, just, we don't want to wait on the line for water like it happened in Sandy. Right? Mm -hmm. A bunch of people had to go to, like, different spots in the city to wait for, like, bottled water and stuff like that. I didn't have to do that. Though Harlem wasn't um, as affected as other areas were, I didn't even have to worry about it, you know. So there is a sense of... Um, not survivalism, but it's just a sense of like self-reliance. Cool. All right, let's get back to the yeah. advice. So, so when we're going to switch to more mundane concerns. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, man, I'm 40 years old and I'm having an issue with a coworker. I work as a project manager at a tech company and I've been with them practically since the beginning. A few years ago, we hired someone as a part-time receptionist and I really liked him. He was a solid kid and seemed like he had potential despite never graduating from college. I took him under my wing, and he steadily took on more responsibilities and better job titles. In the last couple of years, our company has done really well, and we've moved past the stage where we would be considered a startup. We had a leadership transition, and my friend has actually been promoted above me and joined a more senior leadership team. I admit I have some jealousy about this, but even worse, I was up for a promotion recently and didn't get it. I feel like I've helped this kid out for so long, the least he could do is to look out for me too. My girlfriend thinks I should just let it go. Am I in the wrong here? Signed, Resentful in Ridgewood. And like I told you before, man, people are motherfuckers. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> as far as like, it's funny, right? I don't trust people, but I trust the guys I work with. Yeah. But there's different trust levels. You don't trust everyone the same, right? So you don't, everybody doesn't get the whole, the, the, the whole trust. Yeah. There's different levels of it. I trust guys that work with my life, but I wouldn't trust them with my deepest, darkest secrets, uh -huh. right? You trust people with your deepest, darkest secrets, but you wouldn't trust them with your life. That's an interesting one. That because you'd think like if you could trust someone with your life, like that's it. That's really like that should be like the maximum trust. But I like that distinction between like trust them with your life versus like all this other like day to day emotional stuff, deepest, darkest secrets. Right. Well, because listen, some people get a couple of you know couple of cans of uh, beer in them and they're fucking <laughs> running off at the mouth. And not that they mean to, yeah. but it's just who they are. Yeah. So that's what I mean, like not trusting certain yeah. people would, you know, so I mean. So you're saying this guy's problem is in part that he, he made a mistake in just being a little too broad with his trust or too generous with his trust. He should be more discerning. I actually venture to investigate that a little more uh -huh. and say, what kind of friend, right? Uh -huh. There's work friend, yeah. there's friend friend, there's best friend, right. there's a guy you hang out with all the time. You guys go through some shit, and that's who keeps your secret, you know? You guys went to the strip club, he's not telling your wife, <laughs> you know? Um, but if he a work friend, he a guy that you guys talk about Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones about. Right, right, right. That's just a work buddy. Yeah. It's not, a, you know? If you guys didn't hang out together, that work friendship is completely different. Yeah. You should expect to get stabbed in the back, <laughs> you know? But if you guys are hanging out and talking about family time, with the you know the wife and the kids and mm -hmm. you guys had dinner together and stuff like that, 
then yeah, I would I would absolutely understand his thinking. Yeah, I think what's tough about this one. I mean, I'm I'm kind of imagining this guy being more of his work buddy than. Yeah, than, that was my. I just imagined you know, that too. You know, a guy that that he helped bring up, and you know, helped him advance in his career, and now this dude. Um, has gotten promoted over him and he's thinking like, where's the love? Why are you not, you know, why are you not helping bring me up, you know, in return? And, you know, and I also just feel like it's in the workplace particular, particularly really common for people to not help each other out. (laughs) You know what I mean? Especially at some kind of tech company that's probably a competitive environment. Like, um, it's, it's, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm definitely more trusting than you are, I think, and probably even more than you are, Avi, um, uh, of of people. Uh, but I do think, like, especially in this kind of environment, like you have to you have to just kind of accept that, like, even good dudes are gonna be kind of backstabby in a work in a workplace, and not backstabby, but they're just not gonna go out of their way to help you because they're thinking about their paycheck, they're thinking about their family. They, you know, and, and, and look here, here's where the rubber really meets the road with this one and gets back to what we've been talking about, about self-reliance. It may just be that you're not that good at your job. Right. (laughs) And, and so this dude is not gonna, gonna put his political capital on the line trying to get you promoted if he doesn't think that you're that that good at your shit because it's going to make him look bad. So I'm, like, I'm glad you said that because I feel like even though I'm the therapist, I always say mean things about the questions. <laughs> but but I think you're probably right that um, like if, if you're relying on someone doing you a favor to get a promotion, then like you might want to think about yeah. if, that's, if that was the only factor that was going to help you get it done, that's probably not good enough. You yeah. know what I mean? No, it's, I mean... No, it's definitely not. But like you were saying about like the trust factor, the thing with the trust factor is I've seen so much bullshit. And the thing is, like, if you work in a um, in an office place, you're protected from the world. You're protected the shit that cops, firemen, EMTC every day. That's why the trust factor is, with me is like on a low scale. You really see the worst of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, right? You do, but then you do. You see the you see, you the, see best, the best, right? Uh-huh. Well, Trey Turner was a uh, you know case in point. Yeah, people like guys in their suit and ties were sticking around when they didn't have to, serving water and handing off tools and stuff to firemen and EMTs and cops. They didn't have to do that shit. They could have went home, but instead they st- stuck it out, right? So you have that. But you also, again, you also have the bad stuff. You also have the people who just like, for no reason other than beat somebody up just because they were there. Hmm. You know? Not because they were gay, not because they were black. The guy was just there. They decided to pounce on this dude. So you see that a lot more than, you know, more than not. And then you see people take advantage of the system more than not. You know, so it did, the trust factor starts to dwindle. When you're like a kid, you, you know, you're like, oh man, everybody's fun and everybody's my friend. Everybody's not your goddamn friend. There are people out there who are gonna slit your throat, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I and I'm I've admitted this on the show even before. Probably part of why I trust people is uh, you know, I just haven't seen the worst of uh shit. Of I've, I've probably lived in, in too much of a bubble. Yeah, I guess there is a side of me that's like a little over the top with the, you know, with, with not trusting people. But I put everybody at arms like you have to earn my trust. Is mm-hmm. what right, it is. Right. You shouldn't run out there and give everyone your trust, at least not 100%, 50%, you know? Yeah. Let them earn the other 50. Yeah. It seems like with this guy, um, you know, I, I think, I think uh, I don't want to say that he should, you know, become 
a a profoundly distrustful person in <laughs> in all aspects of life. But I do think I do think that like when it comes to workplace stuff, um, it's it's probably healthier for him to assume no one's going to help him out except mm-hmm. for himself, right? Yeah. He, he he's he's the master of his own destiny when it comes to advancing his career. And I just think, and, and look, um, just speaking on a personal level, when I've had dips in my professional life, the easiest shit to do is start blaming other people, sure. you know, and that's always where I go first. And then after a little while, when, when, you know, uh, things start to recover or whatever, I just feel like so stupid that I was blaming other people. And I'm like, that whole time, first of all, it wasn't true that it was other people's fault. It was always true that it was that it was my own shortcoming. I had done something probably too lazy, not as thoughtful as I could have, not as hardworking as I could have. That is the tough love medicine kind of thing for this guy that I kind of feel like giving him. Yeah, I mean, well, look, the question is, uh, should he let it go or is he in the wrong here? And right. I think that's the, that's the only question he right. asked us. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, nice. and I think... Uh, Right. The answer is like, you'll never know, right? The best you can do, like everyone is saying, is learn to count on yourself more. I would also suggest that like, even if you feel like you can't trust this guy, it's probably smart to stay friends with him nonetheless, you know, um, not to burn, not, not to take things. Yeah. Yeah. Don't burn the bridge. Don't take, I definitely wouldn't call the guy out, you know, that's not going to solve anything. Be like, why didn't you hook, you know, hook me up with a promotion? Yeah. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't call him out, but I would also like, you know, you can file it away. <laughs> no, well, I would like drop because I'm like straightforward, uh-huh. right? So I don't beat around the bush. Yeah, I'd break his nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd just be like, really, dude? Like this asshole got fucking uh, hired before, you know, uh-huh. had a promotion uh-huh. before me, and, uh-huh. you know, like that would be my thing. But as far as if he wants to keep his job and be professional, let it go. Can I ask you a question? Just it was thinking about this guy and and what you're like, just the deepening of your survival skills and stuff. Do you think like and just like the issue with trusting people, do you feel like it's a potential survival skill to learn how to like read people, get along with people or like develop good group dynamics, not necessarily read people because that's the more paranoid side of it. But like, (laughs) but like to like, you think like, do you know people who like can make a group feel really good together? Leadership. Yeah. is what it comes down to. Yeah. And leaders have to always know when they're wrong Uh and have to know when they're right. Most leadership, like these prepper groups out here, they don't know when they're wrong. Mm-hmm. They never see it. Yeah. Like never. Yeah. Right? When the group dynamic I had broke apart, I partially put blame on myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I didn't put 100% blame on them. Yeah. I beat myself up about it for a while until I found out what the truth was. Yeah. And even then, when I found out what the truth was, I'm like, well, damn. Then, then, it, then it flipped to the other side. Was I just too trusting? Did I, you know, did I give him too much uh, leeway mm-hmm. and not, like, you know, pull it back a little bit? I know, like, 100%, because I am honest and straightforward and I don't mince my words, um, people don't like that. Mm. I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't like getting, don't like hearing the truth about them. I understand it. Hell, I hear the truth about me and I'm like, fuck. Um, <laughs> but it is what it is. Nonetheless, it, it, it's that. But leadership... You have to see the fault in yourself yeah. before you can start leading people. Yeah. If you never see the fault in yourself, you become a cult uh, leader. Cult leaders never see the fault in themselves, yeah. and they get everybody else on board with their bullshit. Sounds very timely, considering where we are in the election cycle. So um, we're, we're going to let you go, but we always wrap up uh, the podcast 
just asking um, our guests to share one piece of advice that you heard or picked up at some point in your life that you come back to that's really stuck with you. So what comes to mind for you? Basically make yourself a better person each day. Look at the day you had, go over what you did, did and didn't do, and then do that the next day. Uh, it's just part of trying to make yourself better. And if people are telling you you're an asshole or <laughs> you're too entertain those those thoughts. Always entertain other people's uh, thoughts about you. Uh, where can people find you if they want to learn more about prepping? Or uh, You could head over to my YouTube channels, okay. The Angry Prepper Outdoor and The Angry Prepper Urban. Uh-huh. And then if you are looking to join a prepper like-minded group, you could join uh, NYC Preppers Network on meetup.com. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you. It. Appreciate it. All right, that's it for our show this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have a question that you want some advice on, please email us at heymanpod at gmail.com. Or better yet, give us a call, 917-426-4326, and leave us a voicemail. All questions, if they make it on the show, are anonymous. No need to worry. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at HeyManPod. And if you have a moment, give us a review, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And better yet, click subscribe. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Peace.